Alhamdulillah, I have been with this community for the last several years. And from that which I have benefited from is the opportunity to serve the community and to answer as many questions as I can. And after a few years of doing that, I have realized a pattern or several patterns that you end up getting asked. So I, 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 it's, you make me look good. It's very easy because I end up getting the same chunks of questions. Somebody's, you know, 10, 15 people ask financial questions, you know, 10, 15 people ask marriage questions and things like that. And in my mind, I started organizing a lot of these themes because I thought that rather than answering the, the, the direct question, maybe I can help by providing a better framework for those different chunks of questions that I get. So today I want to share, and this is a test. If this works out, then we can continue this, inshallah. Probably the biggest theme that I have witnessed and I have observed, and I myself have gone through this, is this overarching question of who do I listen to? How, you know, there's so many voices out there, there's so many people speaking in the name of Islam, uh, whether it be online, social media, whether they be videos, whether they be articles, there's so much um, communication happening in the name of Islam. The question naturally emerges, who do I listen to? And how can I decipher what I'm listening to? How can I measure that which I'm hearing, even if it's from me? Because we are, all are held to a standard. And I am not the standard. I am held to a standard. What is that standard? How can I answer this question? Who do I listen to? Who do I follow? And when I receive something that has something to do with Islam, how do I weigh it? How do I measure it? against this criteria. So I'm going to share with you three rules or principles, inshallah, in an attempt to answer this question. The first rule is we have to make, and each rule has three points. So the first rule is we have to distinguish between what we call the text of Islam. Can you brothers make a path, inshallah? Maybe we need, maybe we need a chair. Okay, the first rule is we have to distinguish between the text of Islam. The text of Islam is either a verse from the Quran, that's pretty easy to find, a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which is not as easy, and maybe a statement from one of our scholars of the past. This is what we refer to as a nas, a text. So maybe I hear something. And it might sound strange, it might not sound strange. But the first point is I have to establish where this text is. The other day I was reading something totally random, and I came across a statement of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu. That did not, the book did not have to do with Islam, but there was, it was about the burning of the library of Alexandria. And there's a statement attributed to Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu that he ordered Amr ibn al-As to burn the books of the library of Alexandria, and he said something like, you know, whatever uh, is in the books, we don't need it. We have Allah, we have the... It was a statement, when I read it, it didn't make sense to me. I'm still at the first point of the first principle, the text. And because it bothered me so much, I was like, I gotta know. Did, did he really say this? Because maybe I don't understand. And I go and I, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, I find that it's an apocryphal statement. 
that the historians that talked about the opening of Egypt, they analyze this and they said this is not a true statement that's attributed to Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu. So I can remove this from my list, my checklist. This is not a text. I don't have to deal with this. Because Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu didn't say this. So the first point is to establish this text. Where is it? Can I, is it verified? If it's a verse, of course, we go to the Qur'an. If it's a hadith, where in the catalog of hadith is it? What is it grade? If it's a text of the ulama, where is this text? Who said it? What book is it found in? To establish the text. The second point is to understand that text. And when you understand that text, you have to employ a set of tools. Because you have to understand what that text means linguistically. Because the language of Islam is Arabic. It's not Farsi, it's not Ottoman Turkish, it's not Urdu, it's Arabic. The language of the revelation is in Arabic. That doesn't mean that you have to be a master of Arabic to be a Muslim. But if you want to understand that text, you have to understand it in its native language. And the Arabic of the Qur'an is not like the Arabic that we use when we speak now. It has its own rules, it has its own parameters. And what I am saying is a modern... Maybe my teachers would be mad, but this is a very summarized version of what we call usul al-fiqh. This is what the entire science of usul al-fiqh is, is how do we interpret the Qur'an and the sunnah. Because the words in the Arabic language mean certain things in the context of the Qur'an. They mean certain things in the context of the hadith. So establishing the text is one thing, but understanding the text is something else. And then the third point of this first principle is applying the text. Those three things are very different. And we have to be able to distinguish between those three things as we receive information. Am I receiving a text? Is someone telling me the interpretation of the text? Or is somebody telling me how to apply the text? Because those three are different. And in the day in which we live in, believe it or not, what I am saying is the difference between life and death, literally. The text that people like ISIS use and Al-Qaeda and all of this nonsense, they are texts found in the hadith. There are verses found in the Qur'an. They, they read the same Qur'an that we read. They read the same hadith that we read. But you see the conclusion, the application is completely different than our application. Their understanding is completely different than our understanding. And this is just an extreme example. But there are other examples that are you know, in the gray area that we passively adopt, but we don't think about the repercussions of them. The text, understanding the text, applying the text. The second rule when we come to apply the text of Islam, another three in this rule. The text of the Qur'an and the Hadith, it comes from the realm of the divine. The Qur'an is the eternal, uncreated word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Kalamullah al-Qadim. This is the Sunni definition of the Qur'an. The Qur'an is a characteristic, a sifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you open the Mus'haf and you read it, when Anas is reading the Qur'an just now, it is as if the Qur'an has been revealed right now for us. It is outside of time. It is absolute. And likewise, the speech of the Prophet ﷺ, while it is human speech, it is divinely inspired. The Qur'an says that everything that the Prophet ﷺ says is from revelation. Not just the Qur'an that he says, but the hadith of the Prophet, and many of the Muslims, they stumbled and they fell on this issue in like the 1940s and the 1950s, and people want to cast away the hadith, and no, 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 the hadith is from the realm of the divine. The Prophet ﷺ was a man to be sure, 
but he was al insanul kamil he was the complete human being he was the example of all of humanity laqad kana lakum fi rasulillahi uswatun hasana the example of the prophet sallallahu is not going to happen if he is mediocre astaghfirullah so the quran and the hadith they come from the realm of the divine the absolute the prophet sallallahu is laying out for us absolute principles absolute lessons that are timeless that's point number one. Point number two is our predicament is the exact opposite. We live in time. We live in the moment, in a certain geography, in a certain time period, in a certain country, as a minority, as ethnically diverse community, so on and so forth. This exact opposite of the Qur'an and the Hadith. So we have to understand the divine nature of the text Likewise, we have to understand the fleeting nature of the moment in which we live. And the third step is how do we apply something that is absolute and divine to something that is partial and something that is fleeting. It's a very complex when we start to parse these things out, which means that much of what we think is Islam is really the application of Islam. There's a difference between what the text says what the books say, what the hadith say, and how we apply it in our exact moment. Because in the application of the divine, in the application of the absolute in the now, we have a set of principles that we have to follow. The ulama have a set of principles that they have to follow. We don't want to apply Islam and create a situation that violates one of the meta principles of Islam. And in the age in which we live in, in which there are constantly new technologies, constantly new things, this issue of understanding the here and now is of the utmost importance. In now, as we are just talking, the Muslim world is trying to figure out cryptocurrency, for example. And to be honest, I don't really know that much about cryptocurrency. I'm trying, trying my best to, to read up about blockchain and all of this kind of stuff and Ethereum and Bitcoin and all of these kind of things. Why? Why, is this, why am I using this time that I have? The little limited time I have to understand these things. Because I have to understand the now. Imam al-Nawawi doesn't talk about cryptocurrency. In the verses of riba in the Quran, we don't talk about cryptocurrency. We talk about al-dhahab wal-fiddah. We talk about gold and silver. This is the currency that the Islamic text talks about. Now we have... We thought we had paper money, backed by gold and silver. And then we find out we just have paper money. And now we don't even have paper money. We have an algorithm that some kid somewhere came up with. And this is worth more than all the money that we have. It's a very, very different situation. How do I apply these principles of riba, of capital, of fair trade, of a tijara? All of these things that the Prophet ﷺ taught us, all of these things that Allah talks about to this situation, I have to bring this and apply it to, to this. So I have to understand both. If you receive information from somebody that does not understand that, you must run away with haste from such a person. Because again, this is the difference between life and death. I have seen people's finances ruined by people that give them the wrong advice about zakah, the wrong advice about bank interest, the wrong advice about loans and debt and these type of things. I have seen people ruin their savings, ruin their retirement because of this, this type of advice. So don't take information, even from me, if you find that this distinction is not made. 
what this, the texts say, what Kitabullah says, what the Prophet says, what this moment is, this issue is, and applying the two together. This is the second principle. So in the first principle, we make a distinction between the text and understanding it, and applying it. And when we come to apply it, it leads us to the second principle. That bringing the absolute, the divine, into the moment now, will change. And we therefore must make a distinction between what we think is the practice of Islam, the application, from what the actual source itself says. Let me give you an example to make it simple, these two principles before we go on. You know when you're driving and you're following the GPS? Most of us, most of us, we have the map set that the GPS is showing that I'm going this way, straight. But that's not the only setting. Because you might be going this way and this might be south. You might be going this way on the map and it might be west, it might be east. If you change it to show the actual direction, you'll find the arrow going this way on the map. But you're going straight in the car. It's the same concept. We have an automatic, our Islam is always going up like this, is always going straight like this, the way it's set on the map, on the GPS, whether it's Google Maps or whatever. But the, the scholar, the faqih, he has it different. His setting is different. He says, oh, this person is going northeast. This person is going southwest. So they understand the compass is always going to, to point to the principles of Islam. But we're just accustomed to moving this way on the map. We don't care if I'm going south. I just want to arrive at my destination in the quickest way possible, not get a ticket, and that's it. I don't care if it's north or what the longitude or the latitude. doesn't matter to me. I don't need those details. I just need to arrive at the address that's on the map. Everybody with me? It's the same thing. The, the scholar that makes these distinguish sees the map slightly different. Understands that it's important whether you're going north or south or east or west. If there's traffic this way, if there's traffic that way. So their advice to you on how to arrive might be different than what you assume it's going to be. So our application of Islam, I'm not saying all of Islam changes, but our application of aspects of Islam will change. Why? Because our time changes, our condition changes, the age in which we live in change. The language in which we function and in which we trade is, is a different language than the language of a previous generation. And we're citizens and we're equal citizens and we're ethnically... All of these things change. The way that the world is right now might not be the way the world is in 10-15 years from now. There might be a different dynamic. Countries that are allies now might be not allies tomorrow. All of these things change. So the person that gives you information in the name of Islam has to understand that those things change. So we don't grab something from the realm of the text and apply it in a way that creates a situation that Islam in general would reject. If Islam was a judge and saw this happening and said, no, that's wrong, then that means we've applied Islam wrong. Something has gone wrong in what we have talked about in these two principles. The third principle. When it comes to the people that you listen to, we have to make another distinction, again of three. There is the alim, there is the scholar, there is the da'i, there is the preacher, and there is the abid, there is the worshiper. Sometimes all three characteristics are found in one person. 
But usually, one of these characteristics is more prevalent than another. What is the definition of these terms? What is an alim? What is a scholar? A scholar is somebody who spends the majority of their time steeped in one or two or three areas of knowledge in great detail. You can think of them as a tax attorney. Or you can think of them as an ENT surgeon. The ENT surgeon knows more about the ear, nose, and throat area than other physicians, than other people. If you need something related to this part of the human body, you're going to go to the ENT surgeon. If you have advice now for taxes, because we're preparing to file for taxes, either personally or as a, you'll go to an accountant, you'll go to a tax lawyer. The alim is the same way, the ulama are the same way, and we must start to think about them in that way. If you need advice on inheritance, uh, fiqh, if you need advice on uh, business transaction, you are going to find the expert in this area of the sharia to extract that information from. These people are known experts in these different fields. And one might be an expert in this area of fiqh and another might be an expert in another area of fiqh. And when you need that advice, you go to those people. But because they spend most of their time in this area, they are not necessarily the most social people. They are not going to know about the latest and the greatest and the fads, and they might not know about the things that we are commonly uh, uh, faced on a day-to-day basis. They not, might not know about this latest movie or this latest tr- fad or this latest headline piece of news. Because they are focused, they're an academic, an ivory tower academic, you can think of. When you need an answer to a question that has to do with a body that requires specialty, you go to that person. If you don't go to that person, you're going to get the wrong advice. And that person that gives you that advice, that's almost like a criminal act. To give advice about something that has to do with your akhirah, that is not qualified to give that advice. Now the da'i, the preacher is the exact opposite. The preacher is the person, they have a cursory knowledge of Islam. They know how Islam works, they have to have that. But they spend most of their time with the people. They spend most of their time motivating people, encouraging them, like a coach encourages you. Now the coach has to know the rules of the game, has to know how to play the game, has to know what's a foul and what's not a foul, has to know a little bit about the strategy of the game. But the purpose of the coach is to encourage you, to motivate you, to guide you. So when you're feeling down or your emotional level is down, you listen to somebody that will motivate you, that will elevate you. Now if that elevation, if that person that functions as that, starts telling you about these minor details, and they don't know about those details, they don't know about that body of knowledge, then it's very dangerous. It's dangerous for them to do that, and it's also wrong for us to expect something that that person can't give. And many of us have fallen into this, that we assume somebody is one of these Islamic personalities, but they're not. And then there's the third type of person, the abid, the person that worships, the person that's pious. They're always fasting, they're always praying, they're always reading the Qur'an. They, they have excelled, their dominant feature is their closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we, we are motivated by this because we see a model of piety. You go to this person, you make dua for me, you know, pray for me. I want to benefit from your spiritual state. But you don't go ask this person, 
about you know cryptocurrency if they don't know about these things because their most of their time most of their islamic time is spent in worship you go and you ask them about matters of the heart you go and ask them about how do you balance you know the dunya and the akhirah how do you you know how did you i read this verse i read this story about the prophet sallallahu how can you live this way but in this these type of matters matters that are of the inside and you might even follow these people in your spiritual quest to be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that doesn't mean that that person is going to start giving you tax advice. It doesn't mean that you're going to go to that person and you're going to have surgery. Now I know some of my Sufi friends will be upset because there are people that you know, you just one dua from them and everything is clear. So unless you've met somebody like that, you can listen to what I'm saying. Maybe you find somebody that... They give you one dua or one nazra, one glance, and everything is cured and everything is solved. But for the vast majority of us, we haven't met these people. So when you find someone whose piety is their forte, you benefit from that piety. When you find somebody who motivates you, you benefit from that motivation. But when you need hard advice, real advice, brass tacks advice, you go to the expert of that field. These three principles I have found in my own personal quest of Islam and my journey of studying, inshallah, it continues for all of us to be extremely useful. Because there is, as I said in the beginning, so much information, so many people speaking, so many people preaching, so many people encouraging you to do this, encouraging you to do that. And it's important that we have some sort of criteria by which we can measure what we are hearing, whether that person is qualified or not, and most importantly, what can I benefit from that person? You might be lucky and you might find somebody that can give you most of everything that you need. But we are human after all. And we have our uh, personalities and our idiosyncrasies. So most likely, you will benefit Something from somebody, something from somebody else, something just like normal human life. And that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. But to be fair, the transaction both ways, it's important that we know the person that's in front of us, the person that I have given my attention to, what are they offering me? What are they giving me? Have they made these distinctions or not? Because we live in this age in which, unfortunately, things are so confused for Muslims that now... The predominant theme is doubt. We have a lot of doubt. Is this right? Is this right? Is this true? I heard this. I heard that. This person said, this person said that. There's this scandal. There's that scandal. And we don't want that, you know, to cloud our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So think of these three rules, these three principles, as you digest information, as you receive information. And inshallah, this will help you Way and balance. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروا إنه هو الغفور الرحيم.